This is Disaster Tales. Hello, and welcome to Disaster Tales, coming to you from the beautiful Finger Lakes region of central New York. Our regular host, Kate Fairweather, is not available to participate in this episode, she claims. No, she's out working in the disaster field office somewhere, no doubt in the middle of a recent hurricane or fire or flood or tornado, or who knows. Seriously, though, she is deployed currently with her job and is unable to record with us today. So... With the help of today's special guest, your humble co-host, Barb Lonsky, will be fumbling through the technical process of bringing the Disaster Tales podcast to you for October 2021. So please pray. <laughs> you may, we may need it. <laughs> and now let's go ahead and start our interview. Today I'm here with Michelle Howe, a native of Florida and an all-around great person, to discuss her personal stories about surviving the 2004-2005 hurricane seasons. In a previous episode, Kate discussed her experience as a disaster field worker in the midst of this six-week cluster of storms. But today, we'll hear the personal account of someone who weathered these and other storms as a native in Florida. Let me introduce you to our guest, Michelle Howe. Hello. So can you give us a little background of, of your why you're here, for one thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, recently in January of this year, uh, my husband and I have moved to the beautiful Finger Lakes region of New York to take over the pastorate of a church in King Ferry. And we were in Colorado before that, and then before Colorado, we were in Florida. And I was born and raised there and lived there for 42 years. And so I've been through a little bit of weather. Just a little, uh, just yes. Just a little weather. Okay. All right. So let's, first of all, let's just take a look at the hurricanes for the season of 2004-2005. Now, Michelle, you lived, you said, on the Gulf Coast side of Florida about midway down, two hours from Tampa? Well, it was south of Tampa, yes. Okay. Um, it was in uh, Fort Myers, Cape Coral area. Okay. All right, so let's talk a little bit about these storms. Um, on August 4th and through, uh, excuse me, on August 9th through 15th, uh, Charlie, a Category 4, a uh, strong Category 4 hurricane, um, hit that central part of Florida. Um, there were direct 15 direct deaths from that storm and 20 indirect deaths. deaths. The affected areas included Florida, Cuba, North Carolina, South Carolina, Jamaica, and the Cayman Islands. So that was the first of our storms. That was August 9th through 15th. Then Francis, which was also a Category 4 storm, from August 24th to September 10th. There were 49 fatalities with that storm, and the affected areas included Florida, the Bahamas, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, the U.S. East Coast, the Canadian East Coast, the Turks, and Caicos, U.S. and British Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico. So that one wreaked havoc. That one kind of circled around and came back, I think, from what I remember. Then on September 2nd through the 25th, Hurricane Ivan, which was a Category 3, which came up the western coast of Florida and hit the Pensacola area, I believe. And there were 123 fatalities from that storm. The affected areas were the Windward Islands, especially Grenada, Trinidad and Tobago, Venezuela, Barbados, Jamaica, Hispaniola, Grand Cayman, Cuba, Yucatan Peninsula, the eastern United States, Florida, Alabama, and most of the United States Gulf Coast, um, and Atlantic Canada. So it just kind of flew around in there from across Puerto Rico and Cuba and up the western coast of Florida and then up into the, the Atlantic on the eastern side of the um, Canada. And then Jean, which was a Category 3 storm from September 13th through 29th, had 3,035 fatalities. It was the deadliest storm since Hurricane Mitch in 1998. And the main reason this one was so deadly was because the 
the uh, intensity of the storm when it hit Haiti and the Dominican Republic the and Puerto Rico. So that also uh, hit exactly the same place that Francis had hit not even a few weeks before. And the affected areas were Florida, Haiti, the Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, the Bahamas, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. And then Michelle went on to tell me about another storm that she experienced, which was Hurricane Wilma, which was a Category 5 hurricane in October of 2005 with 52 fatalities. It affected Jamaica, Puerto Rico, Cuba, the Cayman Islands, Central America, Mexico, mainly the Quintana Roo, I'm not exactly sure what that is, the United States, mainly Florida, the Bahamas, Bermuda, Canada, mainly Nova Scotia, so it was way out to the east, and France. Uh, it mainly hit St. Pierre and Miquelon in France. So that one moved up and across the Atlantic and hit Europe. All righty. So those are the storms that we'll be t discussing a little bit about. And now I just want to do some some questions here to Michelle and just ask for um, you just give us some understanding and some insight about what you experienced when you went through these storms. What part of Florida did you reside in and how close did these storms pass to your location? Well, as I said, I lived on the Gulf Coast in the Cape Coral, Fort Myers region. But at the time, I was in North Fort Myers, which was in Lee County, Florida. And pretty much they all hit in one way or the other. But Charlie was the one that affected us the most because it was a very strong storm. And it was just going, going. And then all of a sudden it turned and I was about... I would say maybe half an hour, 45 minutes from where it actually, the eye went straight through in Ponte Gorda. Okay. So, um, so that one was more of a direct hit for you. The rest? Yes. You had, okay. But the rest of them, they went and they affected Florida, but that was rain and wind more so than, than anything. Not until we get to, to Wilma, but Charlie was the one in the 2004 um, hurricane season that affected mine and my family's the most. Okay. So, um, so the other hurricanes you said were mostly just like wind and rain events, but this one actually was, there was damage in your area and you saw firsthand the effect of the storm. Yes. And Charlie was a, a category, uh, four, a strong category four. So that means it was close to a category five when it, it made landfall. Yes, it was, what I remember before the electricity went off was the winds were up at above 130 and um, the rain was sideways and I made the mistake of <laughs> staying in a trailer at the time. So, you oh. know, everything was magnified versus what it could have been had I been in a shelter. So mm -hmm. it was just, it was bad. So now did you did you experience like the, the 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 house rocking was there debris was there There was debris we had a um, couple windows that got knocked out just from a tiny branch like you know maybe put your index finger and your middle finger together and that's how big the branch was and it knocked windows out um, we had the crank out type of windows in um, the Florida room of the trailer and even though those were closed, the wind was so strong, it would pick them up and, and slap them against the, the frame. So, and Now, for those who don't understand what a Florida room is, can you explain what a Florida room is for us? Because <laughs> not everybody knows. <laughs> it's okay. Um, in, in Florida, a lot of places they have um, trailer parks, and it, it mainly is for like 55 and older, but there are some places that it's easier to have a trailer put in well this was just a double wide so what the previous owner had done was they poured some concrete and they built a room attached to the front kind of like I mean if you know what a greenhouse is you kind of think of a greenhouse because they attached it to the front of the uh, trailer and that was a room that you could go and sit in if you know you had extra company or you just didn't want to be stuck in the confines of the trailer. Okay. So it was kind of like just a, a porch area with, it was glass all the way around? Is that? Yes. Okay. It was closed in. It had windows. Mm -hmm. So. Okay. 
All right, so that's what a Florida room is for those who did not know. Um, so now how many hurricanes do you remember during your time? I mean, I know you said you grew up there, so I'm sure there were a lot of them, but maybe you only had a few that kind of stuck in your mind. Well, you know, as a kid, you think that, you know, it's a hurricane. You don't really pay attention to it. The one that I remember as far back as I can remember is 1992 was Hurricane Andrew. And that was in the Homestead area, which was about two hours east of us. And we saw the, you know, the devastation and things on the news in, in the area that I was in. We got wind and we got rain and we were out of school for a few days, but we didn't have any loss of electricity. We didn't have any power lines down, no trees laying on the ground. You know, we didn't go without much. So in, you know, in Homestead at that time, it, you know, leveled the ground. You know, Homestead Air Force Base was um, leveled. Houses out there were leveled, and it took a long time for them to build things back up. But that's mm -hmm. the one that I can remember the most. And, you know, you mentioned Mitch. Mm -hmm. I don't honestly remember that one. That was in 98, and, I mean, I'm sure I we had something from it, but it wasn't one of those that just sticks in your mind and mm -hmm. you remember from it. Now, what kind of feelings did you have when you, when you realized that something as close as that to you happened and that kind of devastation? What did that do to your mind? Well, even as a 17-year-old kid, I, I felt bad for the people in Homestead, but I was very glad that it didn't affect us okay. in, in our city, in our town. And so... I mean, I wanted to do stuff to help people, but there was really nothing at the time that we knew what to do or how to um, to help them. So, you know, after we were allowed to go back to school, I just, I went back to school, carried on with my life and kind of put it out of my mind. So. Right. Okay. Now, I understand just from, I know different accounts of Andrew that there was a lot of people who offered assistance and help and sent clothing and different things like that but they ended up having to dispose of a lot of it because they didn't have any way or any, any infrastructure to get things spread out so sometimes in a situation in a storm like that you know yeah you want to help but sometimes the help is it becomes more of a burden so you have to work with agencies I think like the Red Cross or you know Samaritan's Purse or different agencies that help to do disaster relief that they have a better way to get things distributed to the people that actually need it right and sometimes it's it's better even though you it may not be something that you can do financially maybe you and a group of people can do you could raise money to send them and i know money sometimes is hard and, and you think you know everybody gives money but not you know sometimes people would rather just give food or clothing or things like that and like you said in homestead they they couldn't they had nowhere to put it so when you don't have anywhere to put it you know the monetary is easier for them to hold the money to where they can help people rebuild their homes and, and clothe them and feed them and things right. like that. So Right, yeah. Um, now, uh, when you went through the, the Charlie, did you have any, any devastation that you had to, like, have any kind of help for that? I mean, as far as, like, you know, loss of property or different things like that? <clears throat> Well, it wasn't necessarily loss of property. I mean, like I said, I lost a window or, you know, and, and the windows would flap, so they didn't close as well as they used to. Um, we did end up having a bit more of a leaky roof than before, you know, but I digress. That's a, another story. <laughs> okay. um, so um, it was more down trees and down power lines and no electricity and, and things like that. It's, you know, we... We just, we did what we had to do, so. How long was your electricity out after? <laughs> that was six and a half days. Wow. And yeah. it was August. And for those that have never been to Florida, Florida's hot mm -hmm. pretty much all year long, except maybe in end of January to maybe mid-March. And, of course, for you guys in New York, that's not necessarily cold. That's just, you know, a little <laughs> bit of chill and that's it <laughs> yeah um but in florida it's hot all the time and in august that's still in the wet season and it's it's part of that hottest part of the year so not only did you have rain that had come from charlie you had standing water with standing water comes mosquitoes 
And when you have no electricity, you have no way to bombard yourself or not bombard, but you have no way to block yourself from having the mosquitoes come and bite you. So, you know, your windows are open and your doors are open and you're trying to get some relief, but you have no power. So you have no fans. So you have no, no relief. So it was just one thing on top of another, on top of another. Right. So in those situations, did you, um, did you get an effective or an adequate warning? Do you feel like before that storm hit, did you? Yes, we, we had a lot of forewarning about it. The, the thing is, we didn't expect it to take the turn that it did because they did, you know, they do the projected paths with the spaghetti models and everything when you look at them and you go, okay, that's not going to affect us. That's not going to affect us. And for many years, you get into that, it's not going to affect us mindset. So therefore, you kind of put it to the back burner. Well, when they tell you it's going to hit Tampa, that's two, two and a half hours, depending on traffic. You know, it's far enough away from me. It's really not going to affect me, even though if you look at it on a map, it was big. But you're like, eh, it's not a big deal. So they had given us adequate warning, but we didn't heed it. Okay. So as far as preparations for that storm or that, those storms that came, did you have any like prior preparation, like, you know, disaster stuff that you had planned on doing or? Well, we did, but we didn't. Okay. And let me, let me elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, we were given, cause hurricane season starts June 1st and ends November 30th. And you know, when hurricane season starts, they tell you be prepared and they give you a list and you can go and get a pamphlet. And so it has everything on it that you can do checkoffs and everything else. You know, they tell you get bottled water, you know, have enough for each person that lives in your house for each day that you may be without electricity, at least two weeks worth and food and enough medication and, and, you know, so we knew all this, but as I said before, you get in the mindset of it's not going to hit us. It's not going to affect us. So you don't, you think, eh, I'll be all right. <clears throat> so we did have adequate time to prepare. We just didn't. Mm-hmm. Plus for me, it was, it's, it was a financial thing, but we did have enough time that we could have done it had we th- had the mindset of, oh yeah, it could affect us. So a matter of priority, like you, you, it really, up to that point, it really hadn't been a priority to be that prepared for, for a disaster. No, because they had, they had hit us, but they hadn't affected us. You know, we would get the outer bands of the hurricane. We would get some wind, we would get some rain, you know, so it wasn't anything major. So it wasn't anything we needed to go, oh my goodness, I need to get water and food and medication and prepare for my animals and, and things like that. So, Mm -hmm. so basically, you know, when you, when you get a a heads up that there's something possibly coming to go out and do your preparation at that point is kind of difficult. It can be because everybody else is in a panic state. Mm -hmm. So if you know that hurricane season is coming, or if you do it all year, even after November 30th, you start prepping for next year. You know, you Mm -hmm. start buying your bottles of water, you start buying, you know, canned food and, you know, all those non-perishable things that can sit on your shelf or you can put in containers. So in case it floods that they're not going to get ruined. Okay, good. So, so then basically though, you're saying that you're personally for that particular storm, you really weren't very well prepared for it. It was not. Okay. So now can you tell me what it was like then once you, once you were in the midst of the storm and the things were happening, what kind of feelings did you have about it? What were your thoughts about, you know, the intensity of the storm and things breaking and being destroyed? It was an overwhelming, oh my goodness, I can't believe we stayed here. I had, I did have the opportunity to go and stay with my mother who lived seven miles away from me. And I know seven miles doesn't make seem like that big of a difference, but my mom lived in a home that was very sturdy and had, you know, gone through a couple of other hurricanes. Um, but with me, I was in a trailer Mm -hmm. and with trailers, they're nothing but metal and they're very dangerous to be in. Now, everything was okay 
up until the point, I mean, we felt a lot of pressure in, in the trailer, but then the window broke in the bathroom and it was a very small, maybe 11 by 16 window, something like that. So, you know, with that, it was just, it sounded like freight trains everywhere, which when you hear something that sounds like a freight train, they tell you it's a tornado. Now in my lifetime, I've never seen one or heard one. So I didn't know, but I had remembered that from even when I was a kid, that if I heard something that sounded like a train whistle, that it was a, uh, it was a tornado. So during this hurricane, that's all I heard and it wasn't until after that I saw the aftermath. But, you know, you, you get this over, you want to see and you want to look at it. But at the same time, you're going, I can't believe I made the decision to stay. Oh, I should yeah. have gone to a shelter. I should have done this. I should have done that. You go through the, the list of, you know, am I going to die today? Am I going to get hurt? Am I going to get damaged? And then, you know, I had, my kids were there and they were young and so I did the whole, oh my goodness, you know, what if something happens to me, what's going to happen to them? Is something going to happen to them? Are we going to be okay? How flooded is it going to get? So, you know, you just go through this whole... All of those thoughts that go through your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, too, that when you when you do that, you know, second-guessing yourself, you know, you, you kind of, like, you make a plan or you decide to do something, and then after the fact, you're like, oh... You realize maybe it wasn't the right decision, but then you're too far down the road for it to be able to be changed. Right. Yeah. So I'm thankful that you made it through. I, <laughs> Me too. I know that must have been a horribly scary thing. Yeah. So now after the storm, you said that there was a lot of damage and debris and stuff like that around you. What was the, what was it like? I mean, when you went out and looked and saw the after the storm aftermath, what were your thoughts and what did it look like? Well, once the wind and everything had died down, um, I don't think it was until the next day that we actually got to go out and see because Charlie hit around three something in the afternoon. And I mean, we, we barely knew that it was turning towards Ponte Gorda because it said it made a little jaunt and the next thing you know, we were without power. And then it was there and then we were like, Oh no. Um, mm -hmm. So we saw a little bit when we went outside. We had standing water outside. We had a power line hanging low. It wasn't disconnected or anything, but it was hanging to the point where we had to limbo under it. So we had to duck. Um, we could, we had to be very careful getting our vehicle out of the driveway. Um, everybody in our neighborhood, we had watched. From our window which was not smart but we had watched a, a gentleman that lived kind of diagonal from us he had a, um, a carport where he pulled his car up under we watched the wind peel his carport pieces so we had to find them in the neighborhood which was kind of fun but we had mm -hmm. um, tree limbs everywhere we had a large Cuban laurel in our front yard which I know a lot of people may not know what they are, but they're a tree and it has a taproot. And most of the time with a tree that has a taproot, they don't move. They're very sturdy trees. But with Charlie, the way that it came in, it lifted it like four inches off the ground. So mm -hmm. you, before, you know, the roots were there, you could see them, but you didn't trip over them. After Charlie came, you could trip over the roots. So it was just saturated ground, tree limbs, tree stuff everywhere, just debris, it was, right. it was a mess. Oh, and so now was there a lot of assistance short, you know, like after the storm, did people come around and check on you? Was there, you know, like, um, people who, you know, I'm sure neighbors kind of kept up with neighbors and stuff like that. It was more in our, in our little neighborhood, we had more of the, we checked on each other kind mm -hmm. of thing because where we were, it was difficult because we kind of lived not necessarily out in the middle of nowhere, but we lived back in the middle of nowhere mm -hmm. and just so, a little to the left of nowhere okay I get that <laughs> so um we lived off of a main highway but they were trying to get power to people and the devastation really happened north of us so it's not that we weren't a priority but we weren't the first priority because right. there were people north of us that were 
in much more dire straits mm -hmm. than we were. And of course, you know, going back to our history of the storm, there were 15 direct deaths and 20 indirect deaths. So, you know, when a storm has that kind of an effect, I'm sure that there's they have to kind of triage what's the most vital area to, you know, to rescue people, to search for people, different things like that. So, so you were kind of more in in the in the secondary area of damage, but still frightening. I mean, like <laughs> it was still terrifying. Bad. You know? Yeah. Well, so. with Ponagorda only being half hour, 45 minutes away from us, mm -hmm. you know, Ponagorda got hit and they got hit very hard. We got winds just as bad as they did, but they got hit harder than we did. And Ponagorda was mainly an area that had nothing but trailers. And mm -hmm. it was a lot of the 55 and older communities and their flooding was substantially more than ours. And where, where I lived, a lot of times when it would rain in Florida, we would get the runoff from that county because we were in Lee County and Ponte in Charlotte County, which is just one county above us. Right. So with that, we would um, we would get the runoff a lot. So okay. that's where some of our flooding came from, but not all of it. Okay. So it kind of ran downhill. Is oh, that, yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so now, did you have to deal with any kind of other disaster resources like the Red Cross or anything like that, or were you pretty much able to? Well, I tried to deal with FEMA, and that didn't go so well for me. Um, but, you know, having talked to Katie, who does work with FEMA, that, you know, in the future, I hope to never have to deal with them. But for anyone in Florida that does, if you get denied, which I did, to continue to go after them because just because like they came to my house because I told them after Charlie came and then Wilma hit and we got um we had roof leakage it wasn't huge but that's the, mm -hmm. the area where my kids were sleeping so I constantly had to put buckets under or or whatever just to make sure that they didn't get you know sick from the the leaking roof so um we dealt with FEMA most of the time. Uh -huh. So now, um, how did this affect your kids? I mean, were they were they like skittish after that? Were they like easily upset after this, or was it just kind of they kind of took it in stride? Or I would think they took it in stride. They didn't seem. I mean, they were out of school for a week and a half, so they thought that was the best thing ever. Oh. And I mean, school had <laughs> just started, and then it was out for a week and a half, but. You know, they didn't, they haven't even they talked about it much. They they do, well, you know, it was bad, you know. Right. Kind of like me, it was it was scary and overwhelming fears or feelings of dread. But other than that, I don't know that it affected them in a bad way to where they could, you know, continue on and not feel that they had to cower in fear, so. Right. <clears throat> now, if you were faced with a disaster... Again, I mean, you're not in Florida, but, you know, people, we have disasters all over our country. <clears throat> Excuse me. Would you make any changes in your response in the future? And if you would, what would those changes be? Yes, I would make changes. Um, I would prioritize a little bit differently. I would prepare. And when they give you the spaghetti models, um, you don't have to necessarily think worst case scenario, but being prepared helps you in the long run. You know, if there is a at least 75% chance that it's going to come in your area, then, you know, you need to be prepared because they give you enough time that you can, you know, be prepared ahead of time. And like I said before, even if you just start now, because I mean, I understand it's October and you have a month and a half left for hurricane season, but that doesn't mean anything. You can still start now versus wait till later. You know, you can prepare to get the batteries and the flashlights and non-perishables and water and things like that. You know, have clothes packed, seal them in, in Ziploc bags, have them prepared. Even if, you know, they're not necessarily the clothes you, you want to pack away, but, you know, if you know a, a storm's coming, just start preparing start getting yourself mm -hmm. in that mindset that the inevitable may not happen 
but it could happen and keep that in mind mm -hmm. that it could happen. And so we, you know, here at Disaster Tales, that's one of the things that we really try to emphasize when we talk to people about these disasters is preparedness because you can really put yourself in a much better situation if you have some preparedness in place. And so, um, and so, you know, like you said, putting, putting clothing aside, like if you have flooding or something and you, you get wet, you know, to be able to have dry clothes, to have lighting, you know, flashlights, to have a radio that has a battery that operates, you can get weather reports and up, mm -hmm. updates, you know, to have your, 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 vi your vital records, like your birth certificates, your licenses, all those different things, to have them either uploaded to the internet or to have them in a place where you can just grab and go if mm -hmm. you have to evacuate. Also, preparation for your pets, like yeah. you were saying, you know, to have the ability to care for them in that situation and, you know, have canned food or whatever so that, you know, you can just pop open a can and feed them instead of having to deal with stuff, if it's, especially if it gets wet. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of things that we can do, and it's important. And I think, you know, what advice, you know, other than, you know, what you were saying about preparedness, what other advice can you give someone who's facing a disaster? Don't think you can stay there you know, get out of the, oh, I can manage. Be, you know, even though I don't live in Florida anymore, we, my husband and I still have family that does live there. And back in 2017, and then I know we're talking about Charlie and things like that, but in, in 2017, which was not that long ago, we were in Colorado and our family was in Florida and they were hit with another major hurricane. And it actually was very difficult to watch from another state and everything and we knew that they all stayed where they were and our you know our parents live in a mobile home and our son and daughter-in-law live in you know just an apartment so you know if you think you can stay you don't necessarily have to stay if you have a way to get out of the state and go to a family member's house in a in a adjoining state go you know, I mean, I'm sure your family would love to see you and you get a break, you know, because you get to visit with family and, you know, your kids, if you have kids, get to go and see aunt and uncle so-and-so in Georgia or Alabama or something, you know, just, or just don't stay, especially if you're in a mobile home, don't stay there because I, I would not advise it because, you know, like we said, Wilma came in 2005 and when Wilma came, I did not stay in my trailer. I actually went and stayed with my mom. But it was not necessarily as bad as Charlie, but it was as intense, you know. And that one was more at dark than Charlie was, but still with the wind and everything. So, you know, just don't put it in your mind that, oh, you'll manage. Because then you, once you're done, you do the, maybe I should have gone. Right. So if you have that, I should you know, thing in your mentality, then you should. So you're, you're recommending that people really take it seriously, basically, and not, not think that, you know, just because you have a roof over your head means that that roof's going to stay there, especially in a storm, a, a, a large storm, that's hurricane. Yes, yeah. that's true. And I mean, it doesn't matter just because I stayed in a mobile home and someone, and it, someone else has a home of, you know, concrete, like, they make houses in Florida. It doesn't mean anything because if you look back at Andrew, those were leveled just like a house made, you know, mobile home, brick, wood. It didn't matter. They were all leveled. Mm -hmm. So, and I think too, you know, that there's a couple other things as far as preparedness, like if you're going to have to evacuate, first of all, you know, to have maybe just have a little cash reserve so that you, you know, I know it's hard sometimes people economically have difficulty, but if you can even just put aside, you know, a little bit of money so that if you do have to leave, at least you'll have some food, you know, make sure that your vehicle is filled with gasoline so that if you do have to evacuate and you're stuck on the highway for hours trying to get out of Florida, because there's only a couple of main highways out of Florida, that you won't run out of gas, you know. So just that, that forward thinking, you know, looking at it and saying, okay, this might happen and this is what I might need to do. And so I think that, you know, from what I can tell, you really did kind of develop that mindset a little more after going through what right. you went through. Yeah, I, I did. 
you know, and I, I'm very thankful that, you know, God saw me through in everything. Um, and I'm thankful that at the time, even though we were without power for six and a half days, that I had my Girl Scout training to go back on where we learned to, you know, cook outside and do, you know, things like that. So we, of course, had to go buy our food daily because we did had no refrigeration and stuff, but I was still able to have um, meals that were able to be cooked, you know, so, um, we had a charcoal grill, so we just loaded mm -hmm. up on the charcoal and right. we had enough food to make it through. There you go. Yeah. So being resourceful, you know, having, having an idea of what to do in the event of a disaster and the Girl Scout training obviously is invaluable because you're taught those things. Be prepared. You right. know, that's part of the, the training. Always. Yeah. So do you have any other thoughts or any other ideas or... I think I've pretty much covered everything, okay. you know, feelings and things and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. And, you know, as you move to different parts of the country, you face new disaster face opportunities. New <laughs> yes. <laughs> so now here in New York, you'll have to get used to dealing with snow disasters because we have quite a few of those. But <clears throat> if you're prepared, they're really not a disaster. They're just a time that you can stay home and stay warm. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Michelle, for sharing your experiences with us today. And, and first-hand experience is so valuable because you can pull apart the situation and look at it and, and know that, you know, there's some, some things that you gain some insight in that situation. Oh, you're very welcome. You know, we appreciate you being with us today. Okay. So that wraps up our Disaster Tales uh, episode for today. If anyone out there has a personal disaster story or a disaster that you would like us to cover, um or a comment or question about the disaster we spoke about today or any other that we've spoke about in the past, please email kate at disastertales.com or barb at disastertales.com. Uh, we are a listener-supported podcast, uh, so you can check out our, our Disaster Tales page on Patreon. And if you become a member, then you get extras and updates and extra content. You'll get to hear us actually singing the intro music katie and i did that last time and that's extra content on patreon so thank you for your support and thank you michelle for being with us today we look forward to hearing from you at here at disaster tales and until next time always be safe and always be prepared bye thank you for listening to disaster tales our website is www.disastertales.com Music by Stephanie Cerny. If you have a disaster experience you'd like to share, send it to kate at disastertales.com or barb at disastertales.com. Please leave us a review on your podcast provider. Be safe out there.